How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, good gardening and welcome. Thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly. But, Mr. Kelly, before you take off, yes, uh, you get up pretty early to get here to do your show, right? Yeah, uh-huh. and pretty early. How cool was it this morning? It was gorgeous. It was it was just it was just right. All I mean, right. it wasn't cold. I didn't need a jacket or anything, but I stood out. I walked out to my car. I live out in the country, of course. And Orion was just right there. And it was like, wow, I got to stop and look at this. So I stood there for about a minute just looking at the stars, hoping to see maybe a shooting star, you know, or something. But just gorgeous. And I thought, man, I'm not really a camper, but I envy people who woke up at a tent early this morning and (laughs) were able to look out and see all the stars and just feel that fresh air. It really feels good. Well, you're not a camper, but you live in the country, so Uh, basically you're a camper. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, beautiful, beautiful morning. Perfect. Glad to hear it. Yes, folks, uh, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your questions, comments, or concerns. On Saturday morning, we get together and we have a more or less a roundtable discussion, and it's about what's impacting your backyard. What's going on in that side yard landscape where that downspout keeps shooting water and it's always really wet? How about your front yard, your welcome home? Specialty garden space? A taste of the tropics. Those summer bulbs, they're still doing great, but uh, they're going to start doing less and less and less in your house plants get them ready start watching closely for the foliage and stems so there's not any diseases or insects in you when you bring them inside and what is a potting mix how to improve your soil shearing and pruning how to get rid of those bugs and diseases and using information to make decisions well, my thoughts are just strictly orchestrations, and hopefully it will help you solidify the options that you have, with a final judgment being yours. This is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me into your home or your car or wherever you happen to be listening. Another important player is Alex. He's producing again today, and uh, I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And I come into your home, or I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation. If you'd like for me to do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage has my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today, after the show, I'm headed to Webster Groves, Holly Drive, actually. And uh, I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations, online, blah, 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 blah. And uh, today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. First, just like Mr. Kelly was talking about, I, didn't, I don't get up as early as he does, but when I stepped out the back door headed towards my car, this was the first morning that actually felt like kind of end of summer, beginning of fall type thing. Because the other days, the temperature has been kind of similar, but the humidity has been so high, it's kind of like doesn't really feel that way. But today, it really did. 
So uh, as I headed down the road and finally stopped deciding where I wanted to go, as I closed the car door, the cricket sounds were totally wild and outrageous. Kind of neat to hear. Cicadas, hmm, cicadas, they're diminishing. And even in my yard, uh, I found within the last week or so about four or five dead cicadas on the ground. So their season is over, obviously. And uh, also what I was hearing, there's a fountain as to the nice setting. There's pink, red, and white annual periwinkle. It has periwinkle are great annuals. They have really glossy foliage and pretty minimal care. That's the nice thing about it. And they are edged by uh, granite stones in the shape of Italy and Sicily and Elba. Where is this? Well, this is Barra Park on the hill. One sign tells the Italian gardens are maintained by Hill 2000, a Barra Park Community Garden Committee. Sicily, as I said, was shaped or, you know, the granite stone shaped the, the boot and then also the island of Sicily. It was filled with daylilies. Daylilies, foliage still looks good, but no flowers this time of year. There are some yellow primrose that are uh, occupying Elba. And uh, as the walkway meanders around, I just thought, ah, oh, keep going. And uh, there's a cherry tree, and uh, it's been pruned pretty heavy. But it's, the trunk is surrounded by some red coxcomb, which really look good, and Stella de Oro daylilies, which are the variety that's one of those continuous bloomings that do have some blooms. Also, liriope, but the liriope doesn't have any flowers. Hmm, it's kind of strange. I thought it should this time of year. This is when the blue flowers should show. A great bust statue of uh, a smiling Louis G. Midge Barra. And it's backdrop by ferns and redbud trees and blueberry junipers as well. Newly installed Zelkova, donated by the Dolan family. And uh, that was very nice of them to donate that. Great playground surrounded by benches. And picnic tables off in the distance near the pavilion. There's hostas and lambs here and dianthus and coneflower heads. Most of the coneflowers are no longer have any petals on them, but they got all kinds of dark heads, which that's the seeds that the uh, goldfinches really like. There's portulaca, too. There's a wall memorial, which remembers Club PBM of the Hill, which was organized in 1950. Oh, the eastern sky is starting to get brighter and brighter and brighter. Well, that means it's time to go. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Yes, folks, good gardening and 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. When you call in, Alex will answer the phone. All he needs is your name and where you're calling from. He doesn't he doesn't care. You know, he cares, but he doesn't really care about what you're calling about. So that's my job. If he could do it, then I wouldn't even be here. So that's let's go to Linda's yard. Hi, Linda. Hello. Hi, Linda. Hi. I've got a couple of problems. One is a knockout rose that I planted three or four years ago, and it never did too much until this summer, and it's kind of gone wild. I don't know whether I should prune it back for the fall or just let it go? Uh, this time of year, most of the roses, 
knockouts, hybrid tees, granite floors. Don't do any pruning. Let the rose hips form, which will be those little round balls where the flowers are. And then what that does is tell the rose it's time to start going to sleep, and that's that's the best way. So no pruning this time of year. Uh, next year, okay. before the new growth begins, you can do the pruning. Okay. And another thing, I fought weeds pretty successfully in my yard all summer. Uh, but now I see in a few little bare spots something coming up that I think is going to turn into henbit next spring. Will I have any success if I spray that and kill it now? Or oh, absolutely. Right. A pre-emergent would have been, you know, gotten rid of it. But if it is henbit, then certainly you know, get rid of it as soon as you possibly can. If you've only got a few clumps, you don't have to spray. But if you're going to spray, you can either use Roundup which will, you know, just be really, really careful. A lot of the Roundups now have kind of a cone on the end of the sprayer, so consequently it really keeps the concentration of the Roundup, you know, right where you put it and there's no drifting. Or just use like a Weed Be Gone if it's in your lawn area and that won't affect your grass blades. Okay, that's what I'll do. Thank you much. Great. Well, thank you. And now where should we head? Let's go to Jan. Hi, Jan. Hi, how are you? Very good. Yes, I a few years ago, you advertised something to get rid of mice, and you advertised it from Sappington Garden Center over in Afton, which is closed now. Right. I didn't. Do you remember what that was? It Ma- Magic Mouse, or do you remember the name of what the product was? <laughs> to be honest with you, I don't. <laughs> but it was something oh, okay. like magic. You know, magic something. It's, okay, well, my poor granddaughter in Louisiana has one little mouse, and she's about ready to go spastic. So, anyway, I, I thought maybe your mind would be better, better than mine. No, my mind is no better than yours. But what you can do, I believe it was a product by Bonide, if I'm not, I, might, I may be mistaken, but you can go to B-O-N-I-D-E dot com and just see about, uh, you know, mice rodent controls. Okay, okay, thank you very much. Certainly. And now let's go to Frank, and Frank's in St. Charles. Hi, Frank. Yes, Mike. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, listen, I put in some what I call perennial hibiscus. We had the annual ones, but I got tired of replacing those every year. And uh, they were doing really well. Actually, uh, they're not doing too bad now, but... Uh, the flowers stopped, and when the new blooms came, they dried up and turned black. And two weeks ago, I think you weren't, uh, uh, you were not at the program, and some lady, I, I apologize, I don't remember her name, I had, she had a name for that. In other words, instead of forming the flower when the bud came out about, oh, the size of a a big uh, walnut or something, they just started turning black. Now, what I did is I picked them off, I sprayed with a general-purpose fungicide, and so I'm getting some new um, formation for the new flowers, mm-hmm. and I uh, I'm, I guess I'm kind of wondering, uh, of course, now I'll have to, you know, analyze it and see if they turn black, too, but... Uh, do you, do you have any idea what what uh, I with the crazy weather? Uh, what the name of that would be? If if maybe I should have to be getting a more specific 
um, fungicide for it? No, you're probably just general fungicide should work. But always with any kind of fungus problem, historically now you know your hibiscus may have this problem. So you should start spraying any fungicide in any circumstance before you ever notice it. So in anticipation of it. And that's the best thing to do. And also the hibiscus, I'm assuming you're talking about Disco Bell and those that have flowers about the size of a dinner plate. That is correct. Yeah. So they really need to have a lot of moisture as well. So if right. they go through a dry spell, then that could have an impact on their ability to produce flowers also. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So, okay, well, I, 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 uh, thanks very much. Uh, Mike, would you have time to answer one more question for sure. me? Sure. Uh, listen, I have a, a crepe myrtle that it just didn't make it, and I had to take it out. If I don't know if this is a time of the year I could find a replacement for it, or if I should wait till spring. Uh, is our crepe myrtles available now? And even if I could find one, is this the time of the year that it could actually make it through the winter? Yeah, they should. The ground's warm, so there should root system. As long as you plant it, dig the hole three times the diameter of the root ball. Only eighty percent is deep, so the top of the root ball is above the surrounding ground. And the ground's warm, so that encourages root growth. And you've got a couple months before it's going to get, let's say, severe. And so, consequently, they should be able to get their root system established. Availability is probably going to be your problem more so than anything else. Right. Now, assuming I can't get one, then uh, I'm assuming as spring starts to, uh, you know, blossom and bloom, uh, I could... I could get it in at that point. Right. As soon as they're available. But I would, you know, don't rush to get them in when the ground is still really cold because they're not going to do anything. Cold ground really, you know, stifles all root system development by all plant material, well-established or brand-new installations. Great. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Mike. And, uh, you know, as with everybody else, uh, I listen to you every uh, Saturday morning and, uh, uh, like you say, uh, I know you say it's our show, but uh, uh, we wouldn't be here if you weren't here. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> the other way around. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's a matter of opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, have a great day. Yep. Let's head to St. Anne and go into Joe's yard. Hi, Joe. Hey, how's it going, Mr. Miller? Very good. Thanks for hosting our show all these years. You still getting the checks? Uh, no, no. They yes, still cash in the checks? <laughs> <They're> just sending <laughs> you? Anyway, I was wondering for the onset of the second half of the year, I don't have any inside plants. Was wondering uh, if you had any recommendations, low low maintenance, good inside plants, or any of the callers that call in if they got a favorite of their own. And plus, I was wondering if, uh, uh, since weeds grow outside so good, could any be used for an inside plant? <laughs> well, I guess you could. I, probably they're going to go dormant when you bring them inside, though, because okay. weeds go through a sequence. You know, I don't know. I've never really tried to grow dandelions inside. But yeah. if you want something that's flowering, uh, the African violets, I mean, they do great. And there's a, right. a plant called Sansevieria or snake plant, which is kind of a tall spear thing. Very, very super low care. Those two would be, you know, two of the recommendations as far. Now, the African violets right. is not necessarily low care. They need fertilizing and everything else. But at least they, they right. give you flowers all winter long. Well, okay. Well, they always say we do better around living things, right? Absolutely. So. 
Yeah, bring them in. And the only other thing I was saying with the, you know, around all around this area in the city and on the suburbs, they talk about the the vacant lots and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it'd probably be good, if, a good suggestion. Uh, uh, turn them in the in the little beehive colonies to lots, you know, in butterfly gardens. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you so could, we can always use more of that. Yeah, I mean, something like the cone flowers, purple cone flowers, and black eyed susans—they drop seeds and self seed. And I mean, those are invitations for birds. You know, goldfinches yeah. when they and then during the growing season while they're in flower, then they're attractive to lots of different things. Oh, okay. Well, thanks a lot, Mr. Miller. Yep. Thank you, and again, thanks for having me on your show. Let's go now over to Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. Oh, Lynn. Hi, Lynn. Oh, hi. Hi. How are you? Very good. Um, I am calling about my uh, Blue Atlas spruce. I loved the tree because um, it looks like a Charlie Brown tree, um, but mine doesn't look like that anymore. It got super bushy this summer. I don't know why, but my question is, can I prune that at all? Uh, probably what's happened, that is a genetic mutation. So we're, you're talking about the one that looks like weeping, you know, kind of really strange looking at just overall in general. So Blue Atlas. It's not weeping. It just looks very sparse. Uh, and that's what I liked about it. Yeah, Blue Atlas cedar, I'm assuming that's the one you're talking about. It's probably just reverted back to, you know, it's, ge- you know, genetic history is what's happened. If it put, you know, produced a lot of new growth, that's kind of unusual, so there's not really too much you're going to be able to do as far as pruning or anything else. You could try it, but uh, really having great success with it is going to be a roll of the dice, let's put it that way. So if I prune it, it'll kill it? Well, it's probably won't necessarily kill it, but it probably will not it'll, not. it'll never give you what you wanted and what you had before. Okay. Um Real quick, second question. Have you noticed that the spider webs are, like, really thick and um, strong this year? <laughs> they are. They are. It's Why? Just it's uh, the weather was perfect, so I guess all the spiders did a lot of breeding. And uh, if they're regular, just regular spiders, they're not spider mites, which make really small webs, then they're, you know, catching all kinds of insects. We have a walk down, you know, basement or walk out basement. You got to go down the steps, and I some spiders were down there, and they caught a couple full size crickets. And those crickets were fighting to get loose, and they could not get loose. So those spider webs are really, really tough this year too. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yep. Mike Miller. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We're headed into Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. Hi. Uh, hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, two, two questions. Uh, first of all, I have a little uh, orchard. I've got some, a uh, couple of... Uh, Montmorency cherries, and then also uh, various uh, apple trees, and they're all young, uh, going from uh, some that were just 
planted two years ago as bare root and then some that were about three years ago in five from five gallon buckets but um, my concern is that this last year I had almost no blooms at all on any of them and I'm wondering if I've got a problem with uh, what I what I've got in the soil or what uh, what should I be looking for as far as getting them to bloom well, to be honest with you, you're lucky they didn't bloom. It's too young. To, I mean, the flowering is fine, but you don't want any fruit set on fruit trees of any right. kind this young. So I, right. it was probably weather-wise. I don't know. I see, you know, you were 636, so it could have been just as the buds were coming out, you know, there could have been a, a cold snap or something like that. But I wouldn't be overly concerned if the foliage looks good and they continue to grow, then that's what you really want more so than anything else. Okay. Uh, all right. I won't, uh, won't worry about that for another couple of years. Uh, the second question is, um, we've got uh, a lot of grass that we mow, and I'm looking at uh, cutting down on that as I get older. Um, I, what would you recommend as something for uh, cover that's going to look nice? We live out in the country in southern Jefferson County, and, um, you know, is there something that we could plant that maybe would uh, be more prairie-like or something like that that uh, that would have take minimal care, you know, not having to mow it every week? Uh, probably what I would look at is Dutch white clover. Okay. So clover, like you know, the height is pretty much set genetically. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it is certainly invasive. It gives you white flowers pretty much six or seven months out of the year and uh, right. talk about low care you can't beat it okay all right hey thanks a lot i really appreciate uh your your show i listen to you almost every week well, great. Uh, and, well, thanks but what right. i would do too you know related to your trees i would get a soil test done to that general area to find out if there may be some nutrient deficiencies that's not necessarily going to impact the flowering but what it will do is just let you know for the future if you have to make some modifications. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, in general, the soil is acid, and so I have added a little uh, uh, lime, mm-hmm. and then I use uh, worm castings, and then I put some compost on them. Uh, once a year, I work them over, I do composting, and then I also mulch. All right. Sounds great. Okay, thanks a lot. Yeah, so again, you're lucky you're not getting the flowering because you don't want any fruit when they're this young. Let's see, where are we headed? Madonna? Hi, Madonna. Good morning. Nothing better than talking to a horticulturist on a Saturday morning. (laughs) I have a BBB comment. The birds, the bees, the butterflies. I understand in the city of Kirkwood by the train station, Missouri native wildflowers are on sale this morning. That gentleman that just talked about prairie plants, you might find some there. Also, the other gentleman made a comment about the city of St. Louis should take some vacant lots, and they have bunches of wildflowers. The gentleman from the Missouri Wildflower Nursery told me that the state of Missouri is far ahead on wildflowers than any other state except California, I think. But anyway, tough plants, tough. Then I have a question for you. That man was just talking about a fruit tree. Right. Years ago, I, I had a compost pile <clears throat> and a peach, one of the peach uh, uh, nuts in the, you know, what do you call peach it? When the, 
a peach pit. Right. It grew into a seven-foot peach tree. <laughs> Great. Well, I ever have any luck with that on fruit? Uh, as far as being able, well, it's hard to say. You know, if it's coming up from a uh, you know peach pit, so depending upon what kind of peach that was, you could ha- wait for ten or plus years if it's a standard size tree before there would be any kind of fruit set at all for the most part. Or you know, fi- if it was semi dwarf, then it's five to seven years. If it's dwarf, it's going to be three to five years. So it just depends upon. Probably it was from a standard type of size peach tree, so you're going to have a long, long wait even beyond what the seven years you've been waiting. I just wanted to let you know, thank you for that answer. I just wanted to let people know, beautiful, they set up a tent by the train station in Kirkwood for Missouri wildfires. Yeah, there. I mean, there's, and there's great, you know, there's great ways to, you know, do the wildflowers even by seed yourself, and they're pretty easy to grow for the most part. So it's just being patient and having the soil ready and prepared for the type of plants you're trying to grow. So thanks, Madonna. Thank you. Bye-bye. And now let's go to Matt. Hi, Matt. Hi. Hi, go ahead. Yes, thanks. I um, got kind of a lawn, not kind of a lawn question. I have a lawn question. Last year, we moved into a new house that uh, everything was overgrown and all the trees were overgrown, pretty good sized lot, but everything was overgrown. The lawn was a mess. The trees were a mess. So I did a lot of cleaning up and pruning and blah, 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 and got most of the yard looking pretty good. And then I aerified my lawn about this time of year to over, with the plan to overseed. And I have a young son who decided that uh, he was going to help me so he took out the uh, the Roundup and sprayed it all over the lawn. So I decided since I had Roundup all over my lawn, it probably wasn't a good time to plant. So I, I waited until the fall. Uh, um, I'm sorry, the spring of last year. Well, last year I I got 13 tons of the lawn soil from your St. Louis composting. Mm-hmm. And I put down seed and I covered it with composting or the the lawn soil and I put down more seed and then really lucked out because it rained like crazy and my lawn was perfect all throughout my my yard. Well, um, long story short, the um, the the grass is still doing pretty good in the shady areas, but in the sunny areas. I kind of lost it. We went on a vacation in July, and uh, I didn't have it set up to water the grass, and and I kind of lost it. And I also didn't put down any pre-emergent, uh, you know, chemicals. So I, I've got a lot of weeds. So long story short, again, I I just tilled the grass. I'm I I cut the grass and I tilled the front grass in the in the sunny areas. And I was wondering if you could advise me on what kind of seed to put down and should I put a layer of compost down and what kind of compost would you recommend? Yeah, so? just, uh, you know, they have a compost specifically for turf. So get that from St. Louis Composting, put a quarter inch down and you can put the seed down first, depending upon what kind of seeds in the rest of the yard. Just probably a blend of bluegrass or fescues if it's a cool season lawn. And warm season, you can't do anything for it. But core aerate, you know, put the seed down and then put some compost over the top of it. And if you'd want to, you could get some seed starter fertilizer. 
Okay. Do you think fescue would be best since it's direct sunlight? Uh, fescue is, you know, I mean, they're both cool season, but fescue is tougher than bluegrass, definitely. Yeah, I think that was part of my problem. I put a, I put a sun and 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 shade mix last year, and I think the the shady stuff still worked going, but the sunny stuff is gone. Right. So just uh, get a fescue blend. Okay. All right. Okay, and then I put a layer of compost. Right, like a quarter okay. to a half inch only. Okay. Thank you, sir. Certainly. And now let's go to. Uh, Kath, oh, should we take a break? Right, let's take a break. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, let's head over to Derek's yard. Hi, Derek. Hello, Derek. Are you there? Once more, Derek. Nope. Let's head over to Kathy's yard. I. Thanks for your service. I appreciate it every Saturday. So what I what kind of question was, I receive my yard every fall due to dense shade, although this year it looks like because of all the rain maybe it's been coming green where it was brown before. Um, but my question is, my yard is kind of rough in parts of it that's pretty bumpy. Could, would getting it rolled help before I would aerate it? Rolling will not help. It will not help. No, it could never be heavy enough. If it was heavy enough, it would be like one of those things they used to put asphalt down on roadways and stuff like that. So, no, you can't roll it to make it smooth. So you're going to have to have somebody come in, uh, rototill it up, add something to it, and smooth it out that way. There's no other way to do it. You can't just put stuff in in the rough spots because it won't stay. It'll just migrate out during rains and everything else. Okay, and you did answer some of my questions with the caller before, but um, when I put the compost, I've never put the compost down. I've always just aerated and seeded, but you had said you could use the compost in a um, spreader. Does it work with a rotating spreader, or would it need to be a drop spreader? Uh, It doesn't matter, as long as, you know, I mean, there's going to be pieces in it. So you want the premium field and turf, that's the best you know, that's the top of the line. There is just field and turf, but premium field and turf is sort of, you know, the best of the best. But, uh, yeah, you're just going to, you may end up with some chunks of something in which you might have to stop and take those out and, you know, just throw them into okay. your yard someplace or something like that. Okay. Um, and and you said the fescue blend is best for with shade and sun? Well, f- not necessarily for shade, but uh, it's just... Fescue is the toughest grass. It's, you know, it's native to here. You know, Kentucky is bluegrass state, and we're not really bluegrass here has, you know, a rough time with not only diseases and things like that, but uh, it's just fescue is just a tougher grass just overall. But this is a really difficult area for lawns to be successful regardless of what type. So would you recommend something different for, because I have lots of shade, mostly uh, shade. Well, you're, you're going to have, I'm assuming it's created by trees, and the tree, the shade is right. you know, important, but also the tree roots are really important. And that's the difficulty, you know, that happens every year. So if you overseed every year, you're doing everything as you can possibly do. But what, should I put something for a shady mix, rather? Well, you could try it, but, uh, you know, it's not going to make that much difference. Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, 
Well, I think that's all I have the questions for, and thanks a lot. Sure. If you, you know, if you want to sort of like see what goes on in shady areas, go to the botanical garden or some of the, you know, where there's people there taking care of the lawn all the time and just walk into the shade and see, see what the lawn looks like. It's not going to be a picture perfect lawn, even where they've got somebody working on it constantly. Let's go now to Hector. Hector, how are you today? Hey, I'm great. Hey, uh, Mike, on my lawn, uh, you know, the last couple of mornings, it, I walk out. I've got about a half acre. It looks great, but it looks like I got spider webs all over the lawn. Right. And when I touch it, it just disappears. Is that fungus? No, it isn't. Fungus is going to be on the blades. You're, what you're, like somebody called earlier, this year I've never seen so many spider webs on everything. So everything from boxwood to trees to evergreens to conifers to lawns to ground covers, it's everywhere. So it's just, uh, you know, it could be some of the dew, but for the most part it could be spiders. I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. Yes. One more question. I was told if I had fungus on my lawn, and I put down fertilizer that that would spread like wildfire. Is that true or false? No, that's not really true. I mean, it would okay. only spread. You know, spreading a fungus it can happen lots of different ways. Rain can spread it. The bottom of your shoes can spread it. The bottom of your dog's paws can spread it. So, no, fertilizer is not necessarily going to spread it. Okay. Hey, thanks a lot, Mike. Certainly. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, a good one. Yeah, t- taking care of your lawn is much more important. You know, preventative type thing is something that you need to do. But this is, again, this is lawn, cool season lawn time of year. But on your v- warm season grasses like your zoysia, no core aeration, no fertilizing, nothing like that whatsoever. But on your cool season lawn, season lawns, your bluegrasses and fescues, this is the time of year when you make your first application of fertilizer, and there's for, fertilizers formulated for cool lawn season fall applications. So when you're purchasing, get something specific for that. Using routine triple 12s on something along that line is not what you really want to do. You want to get a fertilizer that's formulated for lawns because there's a little bit of difference in the micronutrients, and there could be a big difference in the nutrient numbers. You know, it just depends upon, and having a soil test done obviously is going to be the ideal thing to do first. That way you know what to put down. And then, you know, seeding, this is the time of year. you got basically this whole month to get your seed down so it can get, you know, germinated and it can get rooted and it can make it through the wintertime. But if you do put lawn seed down, you cannot put a pre-emergent down because this is the time of year when henbit, chickweed, annual bluegrass, and several other cool season weeds are the seeds are germinating. They drop the seeds late, you know, spring. The seeds just lay there in your lawn, and then consequently, this is the time of year when they germinate. So a pre-emergent, what is kill is. We'll kill it, but also it'll kill anything else that's germinating from seed. So just realize that that is the case. Pre-emergence don't care what kind of seed it is. It's going to kill anything because it creates a chemical barrier on the surface of the soil. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after the news. 
KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline, tip of the trial hour. I'll be giving that shortly, but right now you can call 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. To show you the versatility of all the staff members here, Mr. Brian Kelly was actually outside doing an interview. Yeah, I ran downstairs, had a guy come in. We were doing a story for Monday morning, and he said he could come by the station. I said, Let's stay outside. It's awfully nice out. So that's and, what I did. And you put your coat on, I can see. No, I put my coat on. You know, working here is kind of like going to a hockey game in Florida <laughs> because it's really warm outside and nice, and you come in, you put your coat on. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I put this on when I got back in and trying to tie it. My fingers are frozen. So, yeah. Well, th- sounds like you're on top <laughs> hey, of the game. I wish. It's beautiful out there. Yeah. If, if you're sitting around the house right now, Take your radio with you and go outside. It's gorgeous. And they should have the garden hotline outside in well, the park. Well, yeah. Yeah. Why not? But anyway, thanks. And by the way, folks, thanks for having me on your show. We're here to discuss plant selection, care for, ups and downs, and all arounds for annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, and water gardens. One thing you know, is you go to pretty much any place that retail-wise sells anything related to plant material, you're going to see garden mums. And they look good. They're fantastic. But just be concerned, even though mums are perennial plants because of the, you know, the time of year and everything else, to get the ones that are in flower or in bud in the ground and have them to actually make it through the wintertime, it's going to be a little bit iffy. So just completely understand that you might... You know, go ahead and plant them in the ground if you want to, but also just realize that uh, next year they may not have had the root system get well-established enough to make it through the wintertime. So they're really kind of, they're perennials, but they're sold kind of like for seasonal color. And once they start to, flowers start opening up, then you've got about, oh, t- you know, 10 to 14 days of flower out of the mums, and then the flowers start uh, heading downhill. But please remember, my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take. and It is strictly offered to you to consider. Across the big board is Alex. He's producing again today. And uh, when you do call in, Alex just needs your name and where you're calling from. He doesn't need to know what you're calling about other than that's, you know, other than that. There is no other than that. And during the week, I spend my time doing, and on weekends as well, landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home and take a look at problem solving, aesthetics, or whatever it happens to be, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage, and that's where my email and phone number is. And today, after the show, I'm headed to Webster Groves. And you can contact me and have a walk and talk schedule for your yard. I'll share 40 years of 40-plus years, actually, scary, uh, experience and as it relates to your landscape design, your plants, your care, and maintenance as well. The tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. And the tip of the trial goes out to last hour. A gentleman was asking about he wanted to have some houseplants. And I said, well, how about some African violets? And this next week, September 14th and 15th, 
9 to 5 at the Missouri Botanical Garden, and admission's free to this. It with just once you pay for the admission to the garden, then you can go in here. It's the Gateway West West Jesneriad Society annual Jesneriad, and that means African violets. But there's many more things than just African violet show and sale at the Botanical Garden, the Beaumont Room, which is one of the rooms in the big, let's say, entrance to the uh, to the Botanical Garden. So. Next Saturday and Sunday, September 14th and 15th, 9 to 5, you'll be amazed. Just go and just check out some of these things. They're absolutely spectacular. So, And talk about, especially if you put them, you know, I grew them for years. My grandmother grew them, so I sort of took the tradition from her. And But I always grew mine under grow lights. You don't have to do that, but that was just my own personal choice. So let's get a couple calls in before we go to break. How about uh, Ed? Ed, how are you today? Doing good, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Mike, I've got some perennials in my backyard that I want to rearrange and dig up. When is a safe time of the year to dig them up? And should I trim them back before I dig them up? Yeah, I mean, you can go ahead and cut them back if you want to. Uh, if the foliage looks good, uh, I would, you know, leave some of the foliage, but you don't have to. You're just leaving the foliage so you know where you've actually transplanted them to. But this is the ideal time of year to dig, to divide, and everything else for pretty much all your perennials. So it's safe to dig them up right now? Yes. Okay, just, hey, Mike. Yeah. Some of my perennials over the course of the year I've had trouble with as far as they start falling over under their own weight. You know, like some of my golden rods, cone flowers, purple asters. Is it normal for these plants to get so top heavy that they fall over? Not necessarily. Are they in full sun? Yes. So if they're in full sun, then you just had robust growth, and that's why they're you know they're bending over. But for the most part, that doesn't necessarily happen under natural circumstances. You're not over fertilizing, are you? Mike, I didn't fertilize them at all. <laughs> wow. So, you know, no, what you're, what's happening is, you know, just uh, a quirky thing of nature. Okay, so it's not a bad thing. No, it shouldn't be. Mike, I also want to put some uh, new perennials in the ground this fall. I've read where you're not supposed to mulch with hardwood with uh, fresh planted perennials. Is that true? Well, big chunks of wood is not going to be, to, you know, to their advantage. So if it's really well-shredded mulch, then there's not a problem with it. But uh, for the most part, yeah, you don't want just big pieces of wood because what yeah. happens if there's a lot of pieces of wood, the wood actually binds up nutrients and stuff even on the surface, and that could deplete the plants that you're planting or transplanting of the nutrients that they need to get their, themselves established. Is there an alternative to hardwood mulch? Well, you could just use some compost. Okay. okay. That, that's awesome. I appreciate all your advice today, Mike. Well, great. Well, thanks. All right, bye. And now let's go over to Belleville and to Peter's yard. Hi, Peter. Hello, Mike. Hi. I got a uh, about a mile driveway from the road to our house. And on each uh, side of the drive, there's uh, trees planted about uh, 30 feet apart. And... I want to put some ground cover down so I don't have to uh, mow it all the time. And I was wondering what you might suggest. Well, there's very aggressive, invasive-type ground cover called Euonymus winter creeper. 
Now, a lot of people don't like to, you know, for me to mention that because it is invasive and aggressive. But I would that was probably in a circumstance like you're speaking of. It can take sun. It can take shade. It's pretty tough and durable. But and it is evergreen. What will happen is is a ground cover, but it'll elongate to about oh, eight to ten inches, maybe even a little bit more before the actually the stems lay down. But that's probably what I would consider in this circumstance. Again, Euonymus okay. winter creeper. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. Mike Miller, KM Morse Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Hello, Mike. Hello. Hi. Yeah. Hi, Mike. Uh, I was calling. uh, I've got a few chickens, and I was having trouble with bare spots, and I was fixing up a raised bed for them and putting wire over the top of it, and I wanted to put something in that. What would you recommend? Maybe a perennial so I don't have to plant it every year. Uh, I'd probably look at, uh, you know, something like a clover, like Dutch white clover. I recommended that to that, you know, to a guy earlier. That yeah, didn't. I heard that earlier. Would that would that get up higher than the six-inch board where the raised bed is to where the chickens could get No, the, I mean, the clover is going to get about four inches maybe, and with the flower going another inch above that at the most. Would alfalfa be better then? Uh, alfalfa is going to be taller. And, you know, that, you know, as far as its ability to return every year and not have to be replanted, I don't know if it's, you know, how well it is as a perennial. The Dutch white clover is, you know, it may get, a you know, an inch or so higher than that, but uh, that's pretty pretty much going to be it. There's not anything that's going to, let's see, hmm. Somebody said something about a, uh, what they call it, a rape seed or something, and I don't know how tall that gets or what that is even. Yeah, I don't either, to be honest with you. How tall mm-hmm. do you want it to be? Uh, over six inches tall. So over six inches, but uh, is there a height limit? Uh, no, not really. Uh, uh, I just want to get it up out of the out of the raised bed to where they can get to it. Okay. So uh, maybe look at liriope or monkey grass, lily turf. That that don't spread bad or anything. No, monkey get turf. the get okay. liriope l i r i o p e, but get the muscari m u s c c a r i. That one is a clump grower. It does not spread, so it stays in basically right where it is. The clump will get a little bit bigger, but it's a very slow process. And that's l i l i r i o p e. That's the genus, and then the species is Muscari, M-U-S-C-A-R-I. And where would I locate that? Pretty much all you know, garden centers should have it. It flowers oh, okay. this time of year with blue flowers. Uh, there is a variegated one which has yellowish streaks on the, the leaves. It is in the grass family, so it has narrow blades, but it is a clump grower. Okay, thank you very much. Yep. Appreciate your show. Certainly. Well, thank you. And now let's go to Doug. Doug, how? Oops. Let's go to Bill. Sorry. Hi, yeah, Bill. Mike, how are you today? Very good. Hey, uh, you have a prediction that was half right <laughs> about 10 years ago. 10 years ago, we had a willow tree hit by lightning, and you said uh, we trimmed it back, and you said that it probably wouldn't make it, but half of it did. All right. 
the trunk it split the trunk in two. The trunk finally rotted all the way out, and one side is uh, not uh, doesn't have any leaves. The other side looks uh, like I just planted it, so it's doing real well. And then, second of all, if the deer can eat my passion fruit from my passion flowers, can I eat it? <laughs> uh, well, you could try it. I, you know, I mean, I th- I think it is edible, but I'd be a little bit concerned about eating it. Or, you know, okay. So that would be, you know, I wouldn't eat a whole lot of it. Maybe just try it and see what you think, and then kind of go from there. Or check it out online too to see what they say about it. Yeah, but you know, you can't believe everything online. That's very true. But the, <laughs> you're talking about the passion fruit vine. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Then it has the passion flower, and then it binds. Right. And then I have gobs of fruit this year for some reason. Really? Because I, you know, I'm not, you know, I know it does fruit, but uh, that's why it has that name. But uh, you know, I can't honestly say I've ever really seen it like for sale any place or anything else. No, but, this uh, is this is just wild in my pines. I don't know. Really? Well, yeah. that's totally crazy. So yeah. now, nah, to be honest with you, it, I should it probably, probably fits in with me. You never know. <laughs> I, I probably would not eat it personally, but okay. uh, if you want to be daring and stuff, you can call in 10 years and tell me, remember about the willow tree? Yeah. And now the... <laughs> of course, in 10 years, I'll be 80. I don't know if I'll be doing the show by then. Uh, a, I'll be 82, so we can both call in together. All right. Sounds great. Thank you. Yep. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye. And, yep. And speaking of vines, I know people don't like this vine because it is invasive. You know, like I talked about the Euonymus winter creeper being invasive. But the, I'll tell you, the sweet autumn clematis, when you walk around through the city, you get the smell of like a niece, and you know that there's got to be some sweet autumn clematis someplace. So then you just start looking around and you see it. It is invasive because it self-seeds, but it is, I mean... Uh, Wow, it is something else as far as growth-wise. Let's go now to Doug's house. Hi, Doug. Good morning. Hi. How are you? Very good. i uh, got a couple issues here. Um, I've got a Bradford pear tree that has been uh, attacked by boring beetles. Um, I'm wondering how soon I should uh, probably take that tree down in a good replacement with a tree that's native to the area. And then uh, I've got uh, what I think is wild strawberry taking over my yard. What is a good remedy for that? I've, I've had it for years, but it's taken more and more space as time goes on, and uh, it's it's unsightly to me. Right. So now why do you think it's bores on your – because bore holes are about the size of pencil lead, and they're going to be in the bottom uh, three feet of the trunk. Okay. Well, I, I've – I've got the the pencil uh, thick uh, holes, but they're up probably at eye level, and there's several different uh, spots of them. And and I, I'm I'm not an expert. That's just what somebody relayed to me. And uh, I'm wondering is that fatal? And you know, uh, also Bradford pears aren't uh, real good for. Uh, your house and uh, car when they split and right. fall on them. Yeah, my guess is it's probably sapsucker birds that are doing it because, again, the bore holes are the size of pencil lead, and they're only in the lower part. 
So if they're these holes are the size of pencils and they're in rows, you probably got sap suckers that are just you know getting the sap out. So that's not really all that much problem. Uh, if you know the Bradford pears, they were spectacular. They're great, but you don't want to have them in your own yard. I would probably look at maybe uh, the service berry, which is a native you know tree to the woodland areas. But it can take some sun. It flowers in the springtime before the dogwoods. It produces red berries, small kind of uh, smaller than cherries, and then it has good fall color as well. Not as striking as the Bradford pears, but still pretty good, you know, fall color. Okay, I appreciate that. And then uh, do you have a remedy for the uh, wild strawberry? Boy, you're just going to have to go after it with like a, a broadleaf weed killer. It is ferocious. And the thing is... Yeah. I mean, it grows just like strawberries, so it leaps and then roots and then leaps and roots and leaps and roots. So it's probably going to be multiple years before you're going to get it totally under control. Yeah, I've used uh, a couple of different lawn care companies that promised that it would be completely gone. I've hit it with Roundup, and it it was in one, I I say small area, but it it has uh, probably doubled in size, and it's starting in my backyard now too so uh, i guess i'm gonna have to get more aggressive yes very much so and stay on top of it once we get late in the season especially when the air temperatures go down below the 70s then all herbicides for the most part become less effective so watch out next year as soon as you start to see it you know go after it then you could you know you could go ahead and apply a, a broadleaf weed killer now but uh, don't expect a whole lot to necessarily happen. But go aggressively after it next year. Is like I said, just watch it. You know where it is. So as soon as you start to see it, start applying an herbicide. Okay. And, and uh, if, if you would mention your website again, because I'd also like to uh, do a walk and talk. Okay. It's MikeMillerDesigns.com. All right. Thank you very much. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, back to the phones we go, but if you do have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We're headed into Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hello, Mary. Mary, are you there? Mm. Sorry, Mary. Let's go now to Pat. Hi, Pat. Pat in Bridgeton. Hello. Hi. Hi. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I am calling about, we have an area of our yard that's perpetually soggy. Uh, we've got a discharge coming from the neighbor's in-ground pool that Ooh. goes back to this area. And then there's possibly, there could be an underground spring. It's just, we've got about 150 square feet that's just perpetually soggy it's bordered it's got fence on two sides of it um and obviously cutting the grass uh, is difficult uh because you know we end up weed whacking it we can't get a loy uh, a mower in there so we're kind of looking for solutions you know we've talked about a rain garden but we're just trying to figure out what would be best back there well probably a rain garden would rain garden would be ideal it's going to be a little bit more work or how big is it? 150 square feet Maybe mm-hmm. look at uh, some trees that can handle just a wetter soil circumstance, like sweet bay magnolia, black gum, 
course, okay. bald cypress. Those are ones that, uh, you know, may uh-huh. just take a look at trees that can handle wet soils. Right. But the trouble is, is we've got grass there. There is grass growing and we're trying to, that's the issue is we can't cut the grass because we can't get a lawnmower in there because it is just, it is just wet yeah, most too. of the time. So then probably I would just look maybe at just to kill all the grass off, you know, mm-hmm. or the weeds or whatever. And then, you know, install some of the either the wet tolerant trees or shrubs. There's lots of shrubs that can handle a wet soil, too, like red twig dogwood. If you get the variegated one, you they look white in the summertime. And then in the wintertime, you just see, you know, red branches. Right. I think Clump River Birch is another one that is that right. one do well or no? Oh, yeah, that should be fine. And ultimately, okay. the trees are going to get, you know, the tree root system is going to make it so nothing can really grow around the base. Okay. So what do we do about the ground cover? I mean, what do we do with the grass? So we kill off the grass, but right. then how do we – That we've talked about rocking that in. Like I said, we've got a fence on two sides. We'd have to put an edging of some sort if we were going to rock that in. We're just trying to figure out what to do to keep the grass out of there. Well, the grass, you're never going to keep it out because it may not be grass, but it's going to be you know weeds of some sort. Right. So right. you can put a landscape fabric down, but even that – you know, that doesn't prevent any kind of weed seeds from coming in and then, okay. you know, rooting down through it. So this is not going to be a circumstance where it's going to be no care whatsoever. But at right. least for the first couple of years, you're going to have to maintain it to a certain point. But then slowly but surely, any kind of, for the most part, weeds are not going to be able to handle it. Okay, well, they're they're handling it just fine right now, right. fortunately, in the grass. I mean, there is grass there. It's just that we can't. We can't, it's tough, we can't get a lawnmower back there right. because of the wetness area. So that's why we've like, well, we need to just rock this area in, but then we're like, is the water going to come over the top? Uh, we, we were just oh, I'm not sure, sure it will. Right, right. So do you think rock is a good idea? Do we amend the soil? Do, no, do I would say if you're going to make a rain garden into it, you know, go to the Botanical mm-hmm. Garden website, mobot.org. And then mm-hmm. see what they because they have rain gardens in their parking lots, okay. and they can list all the different kinds of plants that you know can handle a, a wetter soil situation. All right, are there contractors that do that kind of work? Oh, I'm sure. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you for your help. I yeah, appreciate it. Certainly. Yeah, that's a you know that's a tough one, but uh, there's not too much. There's not going to be a circumstance which makes it so there is not any kind of you know, growth there that's going to be aggravating. Let's go over to Doug's, and Doug lives in Harvester. Hi, Doug. Yes, uh, I have a Rosa Sharon that's about 8 foot by 8 foot. Is now a good time to prune those? Well, you still got flowers on it. Right. So you can prune it. It just means the flowering season is over. I have found that the deer also love to eat it. <laughs> really? Spotted fawn out there eating on this thing regular. Wow. So yeah, you can. I mean, you can go ahead and prune it, or you can wait and let the deer, you know, prune it if you want to, or just wait. Any kind of pruning, you can do it from this point forward, more, you know, more or less, all the way up until spring when the new foliage, which is pre-flowers, starts emerging. So you and got about much, six months to get it pruned. And how much should I prune that? Uh, you can prune it eight foot by eight foot. Yeah, if you want, if you wanted to be drastic, you could cut it back by fifty percent. If you want to be more realistic, I'd cut it back about uh, you know f- any place between thirty and forty percent. Okay, thank you. Yep. And now let's go to let's go to Jane's yard. Hi, Jane. Hello, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. 
I have a hydrangea, but I don't know what to do with it at the end of the growing season. Do you trim the stalks back or or not? It depends upon what variety it is. When did it flower? When did it flower? Yes. It started um, probably about May, June. It's still, the flower is still there. It doesn't have much color now. Right. So in other words, they've turned brown. So it's yes. not... Okay, so you can you can probably what I would do is people have a tendency to over prune the hydrangeas just in general. I'd cut the you know the flowers off the brown flowers, and I wouldn't do any other pruning on it at all. Okay, so just leave all the old stalks. Yes, leave all the old stalks, and then next spring when the you know it'll probably put out some new shoots. And any of the old shoots left over from this year that don't produce any leaves, go ahead and cut those out. Okay. Great. Thank you very much, and thank you for your program. Well, thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And now let's go to Bruce's yard. Hi, Bruce. Hello. Hi, Bruce. Hey, I, I got a couple questions. Uh, uh, one is on uh, the roses. I bought some roses uh, a couple of years ago. They were just your uh, garden variety roses. Uh, they bloomed the first year. I cut them back, and then whenever uh, they came back, they're not flowering. Now, I've got uh, the knockout roses around it. They're doing great. The bush-type roses that are also doing great. But these are just kind of vining out, and they're just... Uh, to me, they're ugly. I don't know whether I ought to just go ahead and cut bait with them and uh, just take them out or what. I would say get rid of them. If you've had them yeah, in the ground a couple years and they haven't flowered at all, then they've reverted back. You know, they were probably a grafted type, and you may just get it. You might be getting growth off the root system, and you're not getting growth off the graft. Yeah, that's what I was worried about. So. Uh, my other question is about dogwoods. My, uh, I, I love dogwoods. I managed to get two out of about, I would say, 15 to grow in my yard. Uh, my yard tends to be a little bit wet. Is there a variety that I can use that would tend to do better? Dogwood-wise, no. Wetness is definitely a, more or less a certificate that says you're dying or you're going to be dead soon. They can't take wet soils at all. Yeah. So I didn't know if there was something I could do to help that. No. I mean, you could create a raised bed or more or less a berm where you're elevating, you know, a planting area like a foot or two above the surrounding ground. But for the most part, you can't do something to an individual spot where you're going to plant a dogwood in it if the ground is, you know, if it's wet. Yeah. Is there another flowering tree that you might recommend? Well, there's uh, Sweet Bay Magnolia which, you know, can take a wetter soil. And there's a fringe tree, which can take a wetter soil. You might take a look at both those. Okay. All right. Hey, I appreciate your help. Sure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, let's head over to Mary's yard. Mary, how are you today? Hello, Mary? Oh, yes. Hi, Mike. Hi. Yeah, um, I'm hoping I could get your opinion on what to do with one of my trees. I have a um, 30-foot honey locust, and it 
was just a beautiful tree, and it's just covered right now with these uh, webworms, and it's just almost all browned out. The leaves are just all brown. I did call an arborist who's going to come out next week and look at it and give me a price on spraying it in the spring, and I hope I'm wrong, but I'm just afraid it's going to be either picking a between a long-term spraying program or something or having to cut my beautiful tree down. I'm just not sure what do you do when your tree gets infested with these worms. Well, basically, you know, if this was the eastern tent caterpillar in the springtime, they can do some major damage. But this fall webworm, it's aesthetically, it's not very good looking, that's for sure. But they don't do really major damage to your tree. Aesthetically and looking at it, yes. But beyond that, they don't really cause, let's say, a shortening of life by defoliating or anything else. So take, you know, understand that that's what the situation is. And to spray in the springtime for something that doesn't emerge, I don't know how that's going to be all that helpful to you. Probably what I'd do is maybe go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website, mobot.org, and see what they say about fall webworm. Okay, so I, I, the, I did call uh, Shaw's Garden, and they had given me the name of the arborist to call. Okay. And uh, they, they had told me that pretty much they're um, going to be done doing their damage, and they're going to go dormant, the worms, and right. that it wouldn't be any use spraying them now, that they would come out in the spring or late spring, I think, and uh, start spraying them right as they're emerging, I think. Well, if they emerge then, I think they emerge later on because they're, you know, this is when, in summertime, that's when they really start, you know, they let's say they hatch and then they start doing their webbing, and that's why you're seeing it right now. But, uh, you know, this is arborous, arborous, so, you know, maybe their, you know, formula will work perfectly for you. Okay, so is that is that the best thing to do, is just to, to spray, or is this going to make the tree start to decline? And- no, it shouldn't. It should help, but it's usually if you got something... Yeah, they're going to stay persistent around the same tree for the most for the most part. So consequently, it may be something that routinely you're going to have to do every year. Okay, so it, I guess I'm just trying to decide if I should think about removing the tree or or should I just spray and see if that. Yeah, try it for one year and see what happens next year. Okay, all right. Thank you so much. Certainly. Yeah. Good all luck right, with all that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a you know that's just kind of a tough one. Let's go now to uh, Tom. Hi, Tom. How are you? Hello, Tom. Hey, how you doing, Mike? Hi. Uh, I got a question about transplanting ivy. You know, just like regular ivy, the stuff that they'd have up there in Chicago on that wall oh. where, where those bums play. <laughs> can, can, can you uh, can you can you dig that up and transplant that from one? Uh, one area to another, or will it live? What are the chances? Yeah, now you're talking about the ivy that climbs, right? That's on um, well, Wrigley Field. Climbs, the... creeps, whatever. You know, yeah. I, it doesn't, not specifically climbing ivy, but I don't know the name of the stuff that we, we tried to plant some. Well, there's, uh, two, there's two major types of ivy. One, like the Boston ivy, is the one that grows on Wrigley Field. It loses its leaves in the wintertime. 
Now, okay. and the other ones like this, you know, Baltic, you know, Bulgarian, English ivies, those, you know, they will climb too, but for the most part, they're ground covers. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Can I, can I transplant the ground cover? Yeah, it's good. I mean, you can, but it's a lot of work. I don't know if it's really worth your effort. It might be easier just, I don't know how much you, you know, space you're trying to cover or relocate or whatever, but you can buy a flat of, you know, ground cover of the ivies at garden centers, 36 plants. You know, I mean, it's going to be 20 plus bucks, but uh, to dig it, to, you know, to get it settled in a new location and everything else, it's going to be, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's not a real easy thing to transplant. Let's put it, I should put it that way. Well, we put in 200 ivy plugs. Okay. For a lady, and she uh, overwatered them, I guess. Ooh. <laughs> because uh, they all died. Oh, wow. But the, weeds, but the weeds came up like crazy right where she, you know, we cleared it out and uh, put in the ivy, and the weeds came back, and the ivy all died. Yeah, so, I mean, you can dig it, but you got to make sure you get root system and everything else. And depending upon how elongated it is, you got to worry about that. You don't want really long pieces because that's going to be problematic in its own self. So it's it's not an easy transplant. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of work. There's no getting around it. So let's go now to Pat. Hi, Pat. Hi, Mike. Uh, I got a question about some nuts edge that I have in my yard. Mm-hmm. Is, is there any way to get rid of that stuff permanently? <laughs> no. I mean, f- for the most part, oh. you can use Sedge Ender and all those products, but, I mean, it is going to be a m- multiple-year process, and there's probably still going to be some seed that will con- you know, continuously grow. But, uh, you know, if you're going to use a uh, type of herbicide on it, it's got to be specifically for killing, you know, nut sedge or nutgrass or whatever. And the best time to do it is spray in the early spring as soon as you see it. It may be even later in the spring. It's weather dependent. But if you start spraying when it's this late in the season, the absorption of the herbicide by the nutgrass or pretty much any kind of plant is going to be reduced temperature-wise, air temperature-wise, and also because they have a waxy cuticle that they just naturally formulate to protect them from getting sunburnt. So that kind of helps or prevents the herbicide from being absorbed as much. So that's kind of um, what you're looking at. Oh, boy. Well, yeah. I have I have a, a company that is treating my yard, and they have been, they're very well known, and they have been treating it for oh gosh, probably 10 to 12 years, but it seems like the nuts edge seems to be spreading. And I don't, they, you know, they said the only way to keep on top of this is to, you know, we'll come out and spray it and give it 10 days to to start dying. If it doesn't die within 10 days, call us back and we'll come out and respray. And then that usually gets rid of it, but it just keeps coming back year right. after year. And I don't know, I'm, I'm at what's end right now. <laughs> no, there's real. I mean, it is once it's in, you know sort of in there. It's you know they've dropped seeds. They put seeds on the end of the roots. They produce seed in another way too. So it is very very difficult to eradicate entirely. Wow. Okay. Thanks so much, Mike. I yeah. appreciate it. But if you know what they're doing is exactly about the only way, and I'm assuming you know the company is using a you know sedge ender specific product to to get rid of the nutgrass. So sorry, Kathy, Dan, Peggy, Tom, and Rick. 
we're not able to get to you today, but uh, this is a time of year. This is a great day. Just get out and take a walk around your yard, your landscape, and everything else and enjoy it and just start watching for some things that may be problematic because catching things early on is by far the best thing you can do. Powdery mildew and other funguses spraying this time of year is not going to do much. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next week. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.